Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cheeseheads. Cheese Get on your feet. It's Curd and Law. Hosted by Sparky Fighter and Ryan Horvath. Hey, C. Sparky Pfeiffer here on 1250 AM. The Fan, part of Curd and Long with our guy Ryan Horvath, uh, part of Bet MGM tonight, weeknights, Monday through Friday, with Nick Ashu and Trista Crick. And our guy Andy Herman. Look at him, man. He is looking good right there on that video screen. If you're watching on the Odyssey Sports YouTube as we live stream this, uh, follow him on Twitter at Andy Herman. NFL and uh, lots to get to on today's show. And of course, Andy, uh, the king of the pack a day podcast and the umpire uh, that he has built. How many dudes uh, and females do you have right now as part of your pack a day podcast empire? Cause it's become an empire. Yeah, we got probably around 20. We have a couple of people that come in and help during draft time as well. So it's really kind of cool that we have a whole group of people. Basically, everyone has an individual day that they do. When, when I first started this thing, I thought I was going to have to be just like, I'm like, oh, people are going to call in sick and not want to do it or whatever. These guys are incredible. They upload their podcast every day, totally edited, nonstop. They're the absolute best and they make me look smarter than what I am. So I'm very appreciative of that entire team. What's the, what's the goal? Like, do, do we have a goal? Like, how do, how do you envision this going? Like, are you happy with where it is? Do you have bigger, grandiose ideas of where this could go eventually? Uh, you know what? The, the cool thing about this is when it started, I wanted nothing really to do with a podcast. and I But I knew I should probably do something. Um, the dumb aspect of me is like, I'm either all in or I don't do it at all. Sure. So I got this idea of doing a sort of New York Times daily-esque podcast, but for the Packers. And I'm like, you know what? We could do this. And then I reached out to people to see if anyone had interest in joining me and doing it and got like 200 people that were interested. <laughs> so I like the hardest part was actually narrowing it down. There's a ton of talented people. We narrowed it down. We've added some people over time. You know, some people have left over time to bigger, better things, which is awesome. But it came out of absolutely nowhere. And it's now evolved into something where we're going to hit 2000 episodes here in a, in a couple hundred days, um, which is cool. We've never missed a day. Um, the YouTube sh- you know, show is going strong as well. We're doing two a days in most days now. So uh, the sky's the limit. I can't wait to see where it's going, but we definitely have bigger and better things even planned from where we're at right now. That's awesome. All right. Uh, let's get into uh, the Packers uh, schedule here. We're getting some other Packers stuff uh, as well as we go. How much of a bother is it to you, Andy Herman? Because I just interviewed Eli Berkovitz, uh, who, of course, you know, Pack a Day Podcast, of course, because that's all I talk to our Pack a Day Podcast. The only guy that likes Aaron Rodgers more than I do, I want to throw out there. Yes, yes, he does. That is is absolutely correct, yes. Uh, and Eli and I had this conversation. It's up at the 1250 com website or on your Odyssey app. You can go listen to it. And he is rather perturbed, to say the least, 
that this team continuously gets screwed out of having home games in week one, how they continuously the last 10 to 15 years end up on the road in week one this year, obviously on the road uh, in Chicago, then to Atlanta in week two. Are you as bothered as Mr. Eli that they had to continuously open on the road? No, there's a lot of different things that I look at from a schedule standpoint, and there's things that could potentially bother me. Um, there have been times where they go all the way East Coast to like the Patriots and they go all the way West Coast the next week and play the Rams. Like those are things that are disadvantages when one of your home games for the season is in London. And not only that, but you have to follow it with like three straight. Well, you get a home game, but then three straight road games right after it. So you've got four basically road games in five weeks and five stadiums in five weeks. Those things are disadvantageous when you have a bunch of teams that have bye weeks prior to playing them, those things will bother me. Like there are very much baked in advantages and disadvantages based off of travel, based off of rest days, all of those things, those things I can be bothered by when they get their home games and when they get their away games, as long as it's not a three game road trip or some of those things I just mentioned, then I'm totally cool with it. Yes. It's cool to have a game Lambeau field week one. I think the NFL is doing themselves a little bit of a disservice by not putting Lambeau field on week one as one of their, primary games just because it's such a destination outside of that from a competitive advantage or disadvantage standpoint doesn't bother me all that much so uh andy you know some people may call me a hater i'm not a hater i got my jordan love jersey in the mail right now actually but you know i said even if jordan love you know puts together a season like rogers did his first full season you know and throws 28 touchdown passes 12 picks over 4,000 yards. I still have some concerns about the defense, which is funny because going into last season, I predicted they would be top five. But, uh, you know, we'll see what we get this year. If everybody could stay healthy when Rashawn Gary's back, you know, I don't know. Maybe this could be maybe this could be a 10-win team. I'm starting to talk myself into this. Just so I look at the schedule and tell me if this makes any sense. I feel like if you lead off the season with, you know, a home game against the Chargers – Let's say, you know, in the first couple weeks, maybe that road game against Detroit. I think this team's probably screwed because they're a young team with a young quarterback. But do you feel like maybe if you get off to a three and one start to the season, like this team starts to build some confidence? Does that make any sense? Because I was actually thrilled with the schedule because you open up with the Bears. Granted, it is a road game, which I know pissed Eli off, but still it's the Bears who you know, they're predicted to win seven games this season. And then you get Atlanta. I know some people are sold on Atlanta. I don't think they're going to be any good. And then you get Detroit, who I think people are overhyping. And then you get the Raiders, who are going to be a disaster. You think if they get off to a nice start to the season, that helps them build some confidence? Or you you don't think it really matters where these games were scheduled? Yeah, so a couple things. So first of all, I think the schedule is very advantageous for Green Bay. They have the second least amount of travel for any team. They have five games where they have rest advantages, only three where they have a disadvantage. And only one of those is a real disadvantage. The Giants game with a full where the Giants have a full bye week the week before. Um, So I think if you look at it again, they don't have any major road trips. They don't have any big East Coast, West Coast swings. Then you look at everything. And then as you were sort of mentioning, Ryan, if you just kind of look at this, you know, game by game, there's nothing that that is that daunting about it. KC coming to town, obviously, that's going to be an extremely tough game. Playing Justin Herbert at any time, even though it's not like they've gone out and won 13 games every year, that's still a little bit of a daunting game. I think there's going to be some tough games on this schedule, but I also look at it week by week, and I'm like, outside of, again, maybe KC, I, I, I kind of go and I'm like, they can be in any of these games and they could theoretically win any of those games. Now they could lose a lot of them as well, but I think that what, that's what makes this season so intriguing. But to your point, if they start stacking some wins early, yeah, absolutely. This is, 
this is not a team that is completely devoid of talent, right? They did not completely rip the Band-Aid. I am very intrigued as to when Rashawn Gary and Eric Stokes are going to come back and when they're going to be able to help this team. I am very intrigued to see how quickly some of these rookies can take shape, how these second and third year players that they really need to step up, can they step up? I do think there's a lot of volatility with this roster. You have a first year quarterback. You have a lot of young players that are going to play significant minutes for this team. And I think Ben Fennell actually said it best where like, if you told me they beat Kansas city at home and then they lost to like Chicago at home and you know, another awful, like the Raiders at home, like I, Sure. Like those are things that I think could happen because I think this is going to be a little bit of a volatile season. And the last thing I'll say in the bigger thing to me is, and maybe this is a hot take, maybe this is unpopular. That's fine. I don't care about record this season. I really, really don't. Um, But what I'm going to be watching is the core young players on this team. And if they play well and continue to develop together and show real signs of promise, specifically Jordan Love being 1A in that conversation. But there is so much young, intriguing talent on this team that if they start to gel towards the end of the year, but you know what? It ends with a 5-12 and record. Fine. I don't care. I'm more excited about what they can bring in the future. So if it's better than that, if it's 10 wins and they get into the playoffs, awesome. Do I think they can do that? Absolutely. If it's not, as long as they're gelling and playing together that's far more important to me and and i completely agree really quick on a follow and i've been telling that you know that's what i've been saying to steve as well is it's like this year i don't care if they win six or seven games i feel like these next this year especially is about evaluating jordan love is he the guy of the future or are you looking to draft another guy because it's sure as hell not going to be sean clifford but that's actually where i was kind of going because of course you know who knows the bears may be the 10 win team or maybe atlanta with that run game ends up winning 11 games but i feel like you know just for jordan love to start the season even though there's some road games you get the bears and i know also it's hard to predict because there's some so much turnaround in the nfl right. but you get the bears who are 31st in yards per play in 2023 atlanta who's 25th the saints who are fourth but then the lions are 32nd the raiders are 27th so i just feel like and i don't know if you would agree with this the first six seven weeks we may have a good idea we may be able to evaluate jordan love not so much is he the guy of the future but just can he play or not would you agree with that or it's probably going to take a full season. No, I think there's there's pieces of both of that that are true. I think there's absolutely going to be things that we're going to be able to glean early in the season. And um, I will caution that even if he looks great through the first four or five weeks, remember that teams are going to learn Jordan Love too. Like they haven't put specific game plans together. I'm, I'm sure teams are going to look at that Kansas City game from a couple seasons ago and say, hey, let's throw the kitchen sink at this guy and see if he's going to be able to pick it up. I think that's going to be a big thing. Even if he shows three, four games in that he can really play, now all of a sudden teams are going to gain plan for him different and he's going to have to overcome that as well and the same thing the other way around if all of a sudden there's a couple things that teams throw at him early that he struggles with like that's like it's going to be the first time that he's seen some of those things so I think that's going to come with the territory as well but I do think that we're going to get a gauge on where this team is at through the first six weeks of the season if we're looking at a four and two five and one six and oh we're probably like okay you know this is a team that's going to compete and play if you're looking at a you know oh and six one and five two and four you're probably like oh okay this could be a little bit of a longer season because I do think there's some winnable games within that. So I do think it's going to be telling. And I think the other cool thing about the schedule is that week one game against Chicago, which of course the hot takes after that game are going to be incredible either for both franchises, right? Either either team is going to the Super Bowl or the sky is completely falling for whoever wins and loses that game. But you bookend the season with Chicago at week 17 as well. And I think what's going to be kind of cool for both of the teams who are in a very interesting spot, specifically in the division is how does week one compare to week 17 and which of those teams actually grew and developed and which one maybe stayed stagnant and which one maybe declined. I think that's going to be interesting. And maybe just maybe those two are actually playing for some week 18, I should say are playing for actually something in week 18. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, so I have so many different ways to go with this. Uh, <laughs> make sure you download your Curtin Long podcast uh, on the Odyssey app, wherever you download your favorite podcast. Yeah. Uh, streaming live right now on the 1250 AM fan account, uh, also at Sparky Radio account, and also on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page if you want to watch us. Uh, on YouTube right now, you can do that uh, as well, or at some point later if you're listening to this podcast. So this is this is kind of my thing, and I, I don't I don't want to stir up crap that was already stirred up between you Uh-oh. and Bukowski. But you said you don't care about records. I say I don't think the front office does either. What do you say to that? So. Uh, what I posted on Twitter, and I, I feel pretty strongly about this, is that every coach and player, and that's why when Keyshawn Nixon responded to me, is like, I get out of here with this rebuild crap. We're, we're trying to win every game. Of course, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear. Like the, every player and coach on this team should be 1 million percent trying to win a Super Bowl. Sure. That's their job. Um, yep. like, no question about it. There's no tank. There was no aggressive rip the Band-Aid rebuild where they traded away Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones and did some crazy things like that. Like they didn't go full aggressive, rip the Band-Aid. We're going to bleed for a little while and we're going to go out and get some pretty serious draft capital. They didn't do that, right? There's still, like I said earlier, a lot of talent on this team. That being said, this is also a season where if they would have tried to do some of the like it, on the other end, if they would have went and tr- you know tried to sign some more veteran guys at tight end or wide receiver and those sort of things, and maybe mortgaged more of the future to do some of that stuff, it would have been, in my opinion, foolhardy, and it would have been trying to what there, there's no one or two small veteran ads that are going to make this team like better enough to go out and win a Super Bowl. So why are you borrowing more from the salary cap to do that this season? Why are you sniping snaps away from your younger players who need to get better for when that next window is open in 24, 25, 26, whenever that may be? So I think that the front office is well aware. I think part of it was their hands were tied. They didn't have money to spend, but they also could have opened a couple other avenues to get money. They probably could have, you know, maybe done something a little bit different with Rogers post June 1st. There's some things they could have done and they didn't. And I think that is showing that green Bay wants to get a very good look at these rookies, second year players, third year players, Jordan love, et cetera, and make a full evaluation on this season. There's no way that this front office is trying to do anything where they're trying to aggressively win games this year. And if they would have, it would have been a major mistake in my opinion. So coaches, players, by all means, Go out and take what you have on this team. And there's a lot of talent still on this team. Go try to win a Super Bowl. If you're a fan, cheer for them to win the Super Bowl. But as the front office with what they were given for this upcoming season, way smarter to build young, develop younger players, and to get fiscally responsible for future seasons than anything else. They've won, in my opinion, this offseason simply by making the right decision of going in that direction and not trying to do some of these more short-term, short-thinking, fill-in-the-gap veteran sort of signings that would have cost them in the future. I completely agree. And like with all due respect, uh, great to, to quote the great uh, Mark Jackson, anybody with half of a brain understood where you were coming from, I feel, because like that's what this team's trying to do. I keep telling everybody it's like a rebuild on the fly. You're going to evaluate the quarterback that you moved up for a couple years ago in the first round. Now it's his time. Obviously, you saw something last year where you think it's his time. And uh, if he's not the guy, 
you find the next guy in two to three years. I mean, it's time to rip the Band-Aid off. I'm the biggest Rodgers lover, but obviously it was time to go. So uh, I got to ask you this, though. I have a take that Matt LaFleur isn't fully on board. I think he would have preferred Rodgers back. Obviously, he would have probably preferred they didn't move away from Devontae Adams, uh, but you had to. He didn't want to be there. Do do you think Matt LaFleur is ready to embrace this, like the Jordan Love, the rebuild? Because for him, I feel like the pressure is kind of on. I mean, not that he's going to get canned in a year or two, but he had three 13-win seasons. The farthest they get is the NFC title game. And now, like if Jordan Love isn't the guy – you know, is that more on him? Is it on Goot because he didn't get him ready? I just feel like I feel like he's not fully on board. He wanted Aaron back. Would you agree with that? I mean, you're closer to the situation. Yeah. So a couple things. A, I want to be very clear. I don't know anything, any inside information here. B, yep. my my gut feel is that I think if Brian maybe had his full, like if he had full autonomy of the team the way that Ted did and the way that his predecessors did. I have a feeling that Aaron might have been gone last year. Yep. Like I just think, like I think that that's when they may have made that decision. I think there is the dichotomy in Green Bay where the, the, obviously the coach, the, the salary cap guru and the GM are all reporting up to Mark Murphy. That gives them equal footing and that gives everyone an equal voice. And Mark has to sort of be the tiebreaker, I'm sure, in some of those situations and scenarios in the final uh, say. And I do think that that can cause some you know, difference in opinion on direction. I will also add to that. I don't think that's different than anywhere else, especially when you're in a situation like this. You know, The GM's job is specifically to look as far in advance to help the team long-term as they possibly can. You want to try now, but you want to always look in the future as well. And a head coach wants to win right now. And I think both Goot and, and listen, everyone, Goot, Murphy, Ball, LaFleur, all of them understand that when you have number 12 as quarterback of your franchise or a player of that ilk, you, you, your job security is fantastic, right? Like you're going to have a puncher's chance. You, you almost always will, you know, punch a ticket to the playoffs and you're going to have a puncher's chance to win a lot of games almost every single season and maybe even a Super Bowl. So that's going to come with a lot of job security. When you move away from that and you go with an unknown at the most important position in all of sports, now all of a sudden the job security for everyone becomes a lot different and there's a lot more pressure as you were alluding to on everyone. Good understands that pressure. Murphy does, Ball does, LaFleur does. I think everyone understands what comes with the territory. And I'm sure like it would be almost crazy if there wasn't some level of disagreement within the, you know, within the front office, coaching staff, et cetera, as a whole, because this is such a monumental uh, franchise altering decision for the Green Bay Packers. I think they made the right decision. What actually happens out of this will remain to be seen. There could be more downs than ups in the immediate future. That's a well within the realm of possibility, but I do believe that this was the right decision. And I do think there probably was some disagreement along the way as to exactly how they went about doing that. Uh, I hate myself for asking the clickbait Rogers question. So I got to ask one really quick football question. Have we seen the real Matt LaFleur offense? And what do you think that's going to look like under Jordan Love, like maybe more Jordan Love under center. Are they going to run the ball actually a little bit more? Is Aaron Jones going to get more than five touches in the first half? Or are we going to do the thing where LaFleur looks at the box sheet and is like, oh, I got to be better? Uh, what does the offense actually look like under Jordan Love, do you think? So here's here's my take on it. I think in 2019, we saw a hybrid of what LaFleur wanted to do and what Rodgers wanted to do. I think we saw sort of half Rodgers McCarthy stuff, half you know LaFleur stuff. I think 2020 was the closest that we got to actually seeing Matt LaFleur's true offense. It seemed like Aaron really bought in and we saw a more crisp, you know, functional Matt LaFleur style system. We didn't see much of the McCarthy Rogers stuff. We saw a little bit here and there, but that to me was the closest. Then in 2021, it scaled back. And then last year, man, that looked like Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers' offense all over again. So 
I don't think we've fully seen it. And even beyond that, I think even going back to McCarthy, when McCarthy would sometimes get, you know, you know, yelled at in the media and other things because he didn't run the ball enough. And we saw the same thing with Aaron Jones. I think we're about to see, all right, do, do these coaches actually want to run the ball, especially now that Jordan loves your quarterback or was Aaron checking out of a lot of that stuff and checking into pass plays at the line of scrimmage, maybe canning some run calls. So I think we're going to get a better feel for Matt LaFleur, the play caller, the play designer, what his system and offense really looks like. There's also going to be limitations on a first year quarterback. So we may, you know, he might not have, the full functionality of what he would like to run in his offense because he's working with a first time starter as well. So I think we're going to see more of it. I think we're likely to see what that system actually looks like, but there may still be some rubber bumpers and training wheels along the way as well. Talking with Andy Herman of the pack a day podcast here on curd and long Ryan Horvath and me, Steve Sparky five for, I'd like to uh, go back to the schedule. If y'all don't mind five primetime games. No, I don't think anybody saw that coming. My guess was two. They get five. I heard Charlie Weiss, former Patriots head coach, uh, or former Patriots coordinator, I should say, Notre Dame head coach. Awful. Uh, and he, he, Sparky, why would you do that? It's Friday. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Because you're a Notre Dame fan. That's what I brought up. Uh, exactly. but, but, so this is the deal. He said, from a coaching perspective, he, he and all coaches, he claims, I said this on NFL Serious Radio earlier today, they all hate night games. Hate them. That in their minds, the 1 o'clock Eastern start, noon Central start, they would rather have that every single weekend of the year because it gets you into your routine. You have time when you get home and have a couple adult beverages, get to sleep, come in and have a normal Monday, that whole deal. Is this schedule with five primetime games, if they hold up, because some of these are at the end, they could get flexed out. But if these hold up, is this actually beneficial to a young football team trying to find its way putting these guys in as many primetime games as they are? That's a great question. I, I do think that there's a, a couple things here. First of all, they do have, what, eight noon games as well. So yep. I, I'm hopeful eight. that they are going to be able to get in a little bit of that routine. They, they have a stretch of, many- like, I think, four in a row shortly yeah. after the bye week. So I do think there's some opportunity for them to get into you know routine that way. I also think like whether it's better or worse, I think it's really good for a young team to get that exposure. Not only five primetime games, but also a Thanksgiving game. So they're on six national televised games. And I mean, basically it's a third of their schedule that they're going to be playing in some you know big pressure situations on primetime television. And for a young team, I think it's really great to experience all of that. Some of these teams that are you know younger and and you know rebuilding, whatever the word you want to use is, they don't get those opportunities opportunities they have to play noon sunday every week and that might be nice from a coaching standpoint it's nice from my standpoint right. i don't like staying up till three in the morning and, and having to do everything in a, a podcast after the night games and stuff like that so i'm sure the coaches after the game after a you know night game where they have to go and break down the tape they probably don't get home till what seven eight in the morning the next day with all the stuff they have to do so i get all of that but i think ultimately it's good for a team to experience uh some of that that pressure the primetime atmosphere especially because a lot of those games are on the road they only have two primetime home games even Thanksgiving games on the road. So four of the six national games are on the road. I think that's going to be a really good test and experience for this young team. What are realistic expectations for the defense? You know, because we went into last season, like I said, top five, top 10, man, and they were just brutal. I mean, I don't know if you're a DVOA guy, but it's terrible against the run. Like simple crossing routes, deep crossers, they still can't cover. Uh, The safety play, I'm not very convinced is going to be any better but uh like what are realistic expectations and if the defense doesn't live up to the expectations is this the final year for joe barry 
Worst defense in the NFL is my expectation until I see otherwise. Like that's, that's like where I'm at. Like I thought like, I, I think like a lot of other people going into last year of like, yeah, that has the ability to potentially be uh, a top 10 defense. And, you know, it did not end up being that way. And sort of how I was with special teams, um, you know, uh, a couple of years ago before Basaccia, it's like until they prove me, to me that they can actually put somewhat of a functional defense slash special teams on the field, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm I'm no longer in the world of prognosticating a good defense for Green Bay until we actually see it on the field. So I think the Rashawn Gary and Eric Stokes injuries are certainly going to complicate things a little bit potentially to start the season. I'm super excited about Lucas Van Ness up front. I think we need to see some serious jumps from guys like Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker, first round picks out of Georgia a season ago. Those guys need to have a much bigger impact on this year. As you mentioned, the safety spot is far, far, far less than ideal. In my opinion, they don't have a starting caliber safety on the roster, and that is a problem. So I'm intrigued with the defense. I think there's a lot of talent still there. They have to find their footing. They need to communicate a whole heck of a lot better than they communicated a season ago. And until I see it, until I see this team playing like a top 10, top 12 defense, I'm I'm at the, the, the point in time where I'll believe it when I see it. My struggle with this is, and I talked about this on the last, uh, last Curtilong uh, podcast, going off of those press conferences that they just had, uh, and Kenny Clark talking about how they have to stop the run better, and they have to tackle better. Here's my issue, Kenny. My issue is it's the same personnel for the most part. Y'all couldn't tackle last year. It's the same defensive coaching staff. So how is it that we're all of a sudden going to learn how to tackle better? Nothing has changed. Personnel is the same. Coaching is the same. They're going to teach you the same way as they taught you last year. If you weren't able to do it last year, what's going to convince me that you're going to do it any better this year? Uh, and then stopping the run, again, Lowry's gone. Okay, so now you're talking about TJ Slayton have to step up and have to have a bigger role than he's had in the past. And he, he rotated in uh, last year, obviously, but he's got to be more consistent. Uh, and then Devontae Wide didn't get any playing time in the beginning of the year and didn't get going until the second half of the year. Uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on those guys to keep those linebackers clean. Uh, and that is a, a huge question as well. Is, is there one thing that stands out to you more than anything else on that defense, Andy, that has to be fixed to get him to be adequate? I think you hit everything, right? I think it's fair to have the question of how is this defense all of a sudden going to be better? It's the same coaching staff. They got a what new passing game coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. That's about it. They get Lucas Van Ness, which I'm sure is going to help, but Rashawn Gary might be gone part of the season. Okay. You know, they are going to probably use Keyshawn more in the slot, but Eric Stokes might be out part of the beginning of the season. They lose Adrian Amos, which I don't think is going to necessarily hurt them, uh, but they don't have a adequate replacement either. So that becomes a problem. I don't know how this defense immediately just gets better from where they were at a season ago. Now, two of the guys we just mentioned, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, if those two can take a significant step, if Lucas Van Ness can be as advertised, all right, that's a heck of a start. Like that, that would be a great, great place to start. Those are three first round premium picks on the defensive side of the ball that if they can, you know, play really well this year, all right, now maybe we can see some things. I'm a little bit bullish on TJ Slayton. I think he can be a really nice, you know, if nothing else, solid rotational piece along that defensive line. But this is a team that has to do a better job of eating their vegetables on early downs. I've said it for years now, even under Mike Patton, going back to Dom Capers, Joe Barry, man, what a depressing list of coaches. But, uh, right, when but you that's go- just it though, Andy. Hold on a second. But that's yeah. just it. So as a Packer fan, it's always the coordinator's fault. It's all, we always blame the coordinator. Maybe yeah. the talent's just not as good as we all give them credit for. Maybe it's just not as good. How many coordinators are you going to go through with a bunch of the Kenny Clarks and these guys and it just never gets figured out? I've been saying this for years, though, but you got like 
you got to look at the guy that's evaluating the talent. And then I get called a goot hater, but this goes way back before a goot, man, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And also, like, I feel like they have a history of paying the wrong guys. Like, after contract years, you don't give a guy like Nick Perry money after 13 and a half sacks when he didn't have 13 combined, what, the first three years of his career. But sorry, I digress. You guys go on. Yeah, so there's there's a piece of all of it, right? And I think that's why this, to me, call it whatever you want. To, the biggest thing that this year is for me is an evaluation year. And I think when you put that much resources into one side of the ball, you know all the names, you know all the first round picks, and then you have a lot of free agent money that's in that as well. There is a ton, and I mean a ton, invested in the defensive side of the ball. And if you don't get the ROI off that like they didn't last year, then becomes the question, all right, did you make the wrong investments or do you have the wrong guy using those investments and that's not getting the right stuff out of them? And at some point, you know, it has to, you have to figure out and evaluate which it is. And I'm sure there's a level of both. I don't think there's much question about that, but now is the evaluation of, okay, it, you know what the guys that they have and look at that, like I said, I don't think they have a starting caliber safety on the roster. That's, that's goop. That that's partly his issue. He spent the first round pick on Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos at towards the end, you know, didn't look the same. They haven't been able to adequately fill that position unless Anthony Johnson jr. Is all of a sudden really, really good. Like that is a question mark. They ha- they don't have the, the tackling guys in the secondary Jair with his, after his shoulder injury, hasn't been as aggressive as a tackler. Stokes is not a good tackler. Savage is not a good tackler in the secondary. Those are big parts of playing defense in today's modern NFL, especially if you want to play a off ball zone coverage where you're going to let everything be in front of you and come back, come up and tackle. You better have guys that can come up and tackle in your secondary and Green Bay doesn't. It was a total failure of matching the right players with the right systems. And that stuff has to get figured out. So this is an evaluation for both Google and Joe Barry, especially as you add another first round pick to that side of the ball this upcoming season. So um, the rubber's going to meet the road. And I think there's going to be a major evaluation on defense. And we're going to find out, is it talent? Is it coordinator? What is it? Because if it's not good now, it's something has to get changed. Yeah, that's a great point, especially in the modern NFL, like you said, man. And especially with the style of defense that they play, you look at a team, I mean, like Miami with Jalen Wild, everything's after the catch. And that's why I know teams don't value the inside linebacker position, but I'd kill for a guy like Fred Warner who could play sideline to sideline, step yeah. up, make every single tackle. And every year, man, San Francisco has like a bunch of guys that you've never heard of. Uh, I mean, other than the Bosa and the Warners, but and they're just making crazy tackles. So uh, on the offensive side of the ball, who are you most excited to watch this season other than Jordan Love? We're hearing these takes now that Romeo Dobbs is going to lead the team in receptions, which I could honestly see. I think Aaron Rodgers just completely torched his confidence. But who are you most excited to watch on the offensive side of the ball this year? It'd be probably an easier list to give you who I'm not excited to watch this upcoming season because I just think the playmakers at wide receiver and tight end is is what I'm going to be watching. And I think there's a lot of snaps up for grabs. And I, I think Romeo can have a really good season too at the same token. I think Christian Watson's the only one that's guaranteed going into the season, like first team starter snaps at any of the we- any of the non-running back weapon positions, right? Because Watson's going to play a ton. Then after that, I think Dobbs, Toure, Jaden Reed, like, and even maybe guys like a Dontavian Wicks, Grant Dubose, I think all of those guys can get in the conversation based on how they play and based on how they develop a, a relationship and a like sort of on-field chemistry with Jordan Love. Same thing at tight end, right? I think Deguara and Love actually have that chemistry already. I think we're going to see a, a bit of an increased role from Deguara. You go out and draft two, you know, really fun, exciting at run after the catch tight ends and Luke Musgrave and um, uh, 
why am I forgetting uh, Tucker craft, excuse me. So yeah. like when you have those two guys that now actually have some juice at that position, I am just excited to see how all of those weapons gel with Jordan love who rises to the occasion. Tight end is a very, very difficult position to learn in your first year in the NFL, all the blocking assignments, the blitz pickups, the route trees, the receiving prop, like you have to have everything at that position. It's really, really tough. Can one of those guys grab the position and grab the bull by the horns and actually do something with it in their rookie year? Jaden Reed, I could not have been more excited after watching his tape. So all of those weapons with Jordan Love at QB, I just can't wait to see who steps up and who really makes the most of those opportunities. How confident are you from the center position to the right tackle position? Uh, I, I don't think it's a bad spot that they're in, but those are positions that if guys don't start playing better, you're constantly looking to churn them and upgrade, right? So Josh Myers is a massive season for him. And I, I will be disappointed if he doesn't have competition at the position, whether that's a Zach Tom, whether they want to say, hey, if you don't play well, we're just going to move Elton over and we'll put somebody at left guard, whatever it may be. If there's not a fire lit under Josh Myers, because he has the potential to be so much better than what he's shown over the last two seasons, and he has to find a way to play better. But I think if he doesn't, you're looking to turn over that position sooner rather than later. Right guard, John Runyon Jr. I like John Runyon Jr., but it's the same thing. He's had complete inconsistencies up and down play. Some of his ups are really good. Some of his inconsistencies are not so great. And I think that's another position, free agent after this year, where if he doesn't show a pretty decent sign of improvement, you're probably looking to turn that position over as well. And then you've got Yash and potentially Zach Tom at right tackle. I really love Zach Tom. I don't think his best position long-term is right tackle. But that's another position where I think you can get by with either of those guys. But if they can't show that they're ready to be a full-time starter at right tackle, you're probably looking to upgrade that in, in the next offseason as well. So I think there needs to be a fire lit under all of them. And I don't, like I said, I don't think it's a bad you know right side of the line. It's just it's probably all three positions that you're looking to improve if they don't step up this season. Uh, so what would be your wildest prediction for the season? It doesn't have to be win-loss or Jordan Love's going to be an all-pro or a Super Bowl, but like, what do you feel most confident about that nobody else would probably predict about this team, if anything, or an individual player? All right. So I'm going to say by the end of the year, Anthony Johnson Jr. is the best safety on the team. I'll give you the whole take. I'm going to say I'm you there. Man, yeah. that's, that's like the whole bandwagon. It's, uh, everybody's on that take. Fennel's okay. on that take. Everybody loves this Anthony Johnson. Kid. Wait, then, then you got the right people at least. No, but this um, is my thing. To Fennel and all you other guys that love this dude, then why didn't he go higher? Why was he still sitting there that late? Why didn't he get drafted higher than Andy? I'm going to actually go in the opposite direction and say it's not so much of a compliment for Anthony Johnson Jr. <laughs> <laughs> More of a take on the current safety position in the NFL. Or in the yeah, NFL yeah, yeah. Packers. So I'm, I'll just put it that way. I, I think there's logical reasons why he, he lasted until the seventh. I don't think his upside is like incredibly high. I think he can be a really sound good safety in the NFL, but I don't think this is a guy that has like Pro Bowl potential, which if you don't, you're probably just not going to ultimately get taken that high. One year of safety play, struggle as a corner. I think he's going to have some ultimate athleticism. Um, um, limitations as he's covering faster, bigger wide receivers in the NFL. I think there's some things that caused him to fall into the seventh round. I think he should have went earlier. I don't think he should have gone earlier than like the fifth, um, but it does at the end of the day, it's more of a commentary on the current state of the Packers defense. Uh, let's see if I have anything else bold. Um, I, I don't know. I just think that this is going to be one of the most fun seasons, regardless of record that the Packers have had in a long time. I think part of that is due to not the burden of expectations as much. It, it's going to be a lot harder to get heartbroken this season when you're not expecting a Super Bowl run. Um, it just is what it is. But I think this team is going to surprise some people. And 
I think the the cool part is you could tell me they finish first in the the division. You could tell me they finish fourth in the division or anywhere in between. I could be like, yeah, that that seems totally within the realm of possibility. So just the the complete unknown and the complete lack of you know high end expectation, I think, makes this a really fun fun season for the Packers. The other thing is because of where they play in the NFC, there's only one dominant team. It looks like Philly, and you look at the Packers schedule. A lot of those games, not, not Kansas City, fine. But a lot of those games, they're all winnable games. You look at them, yep. they can win that game. They can win that game. I can see them winning that game. Not that they will, but you can justify most of this schedule and say they're, they're all possibilities uh, of winning. And with Jordan Love and as young as they are on offense, it sounds crazy. But I don't know. That's kind of how I look at it. Hey, our guy, Andy Herman. Thanks for stopping by at Andy Herman NFL Pack-A-Day Podcast. Anything you'd like to promote on your way out, Andy Herman. Yeah, just check out the Pack-A-Day podcast. You can follow it wherever you get your favorite podcast. Make sure to subscribe over on YouTube as well. New episode, 365 days a year. There you go. He is Andy Herman. Uh, Steve Sparky. Fiber, follow me at Sparky Radio. Ryan Horvath, Bet MGM tonight, weeknights, Bet QL Radio. Uh, with Trista Crick and Nick Ashu. Follow him at Ryan Horvat on Twitter. Enjoy the rest of your day.